This, this is the police. <laughs> We're like, whoa, no. Sergeant Shinland in here. Is this Mr. Vitrano? Yes. <laughs> what, what did they do? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Vitrano. So, you know, I like, a, I, I like a good long movie. We have this debate all the time. You'll take it, a two and a half, three hour flick? Like, fine. I mean, it doesn't have to be three. Just because it's three doesn't mean... There's nothing worse than a three hour movie that should have been 220. Hello, Hobbit. <laughs> right. So... <laughs> I get, I get that, but you know this movement to we're going to make everything a series. We want to stream everything, and yes, I'm, I'm so pleased to hear that Star Wars is going to come out with more films because mm. I like to look ahead to a big blockbuster. But more and more people just want to binge seven, eight hours of a series. Well, I do think there's some hypocrisy there sometimes because you'll hear people complain about a long movie, but then at the same time they'll sit and watch a 20, se- 20 hour series. On a long story arc where it's basically just a long-form movie that's broken up into 20 different episodes. The arc doesn't arc as much? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's or there's slow all these ramp. tiny, mini, pointless arcs in a series. So I got no problem with the big okay. with the big film. So do you got a problem with Fatal Attraction, the series? Are you gonna... Not really my genre. Right. I don't know. No, I'm Seems not going to watch that. <laughs> right? Just to get to the ultimate end, which you largely know, right? right? Yeah. Unless they somehow deviate from the storyline. I would assume they would, but who knows? Now, I've, so are you excited for the Star Wars movies or no? Sure. Yeah. Well, like I've always told you, it's candy to me. I'm, I'm good. I, I may not feel good when I'm done eating it, but I'm going to feed <laughs> on it. Yes. So, right. Three more. Three more. We, th- we think it's three. Yes, at least three. They're going to have one that's with Ray. It'd be post this final trilogy that just came out. Which so they told us was not going to happen. There'll be another one that'll tie some of the Disney Plus series stuff together, like the Mandalorian stuff. I think that's going to be one. And then the other one will be way back when Jedis were first formed. Speaking of movies, you were out late last night. You were at Milwaukee Film Festival. Yeah. What did you see? Did you see I the, saw the Metropolis? Metropolis? You did? From 1927. Oh. So I'm watching a flick from 1927 in a theater that started in 19. 19- 27. Oh, that Super had cool. to be so it cool. It was awesome, Debbie. It was <laughs> awesome. And there was a band playing, like, so it was a live band playing the score. Nice. And it was their own version. The original score, it was incredible. Black and white, very cool, weird, symbolic stuff going on there. It was a great show. And then you brought and it back. it was long, right? Right. It's very long. They could have edited, right <laughs> edited the ending a little bit. Metropolis, the series, is coming out on Netflix <laughs> next year. 513 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Bob's got sports next. Time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All Sports Desk. Here's Bob Brainerd. The Packers sent out a call to Hercules. Former Iowa defensive end Lucas Van Ness is Green Bay's pick in the first round of the NFL draft. The 6'5", 272-pound former Hawkeye went number 13 overall. Yeah, I mean, I'm at a loss for words. Um, just, you know, finally coming to a sense of my emotions. I'm extremely happy to see this all come to fruition. You know, since I decided to come out around four months ago, I put my note, my nose to the grindstone. I spent three months in California training for the combine. You know, so many meetings and interviews, and flying around to different top thirty visits uh, just to get to this day to day. And uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better result. And I'm just so happy to be a Packer, and I can't wait to get out there and wear that green. Van Ness never started a game at Iowa, but Packers GM Brian Gutekunst loves the upside. He did play like a thousand snaps in the last two years, but it's two years of football. He redshirted his first year. So I just think there's a lot of growth there, and the physical traits are all there for him to grow, so there's no real limitation on him. 
but also his just the versatility of being able to win outside with speed and then also inside with power. So I just think there's so much in front of him, and I think that's just where his best football will be. Tonight it's rounds two and three. Green Bay has two picks in the second round, 42 and 45 on the countdown. Round three, one selection, the 15th, which is 78 overall. Brewers and Angels are the headliners at AmFam Field tonight. The pitching matchup is Wade Miley for Milwaukee, Tyler Anderson for the Halos. And while Christian Yelich hasn't been a carbon copy of his MVP self, he has added positive stats to the nightly box score. Manager Craig Council on getting contributions from his leadoff hitter. He's run the bases exceptionally. I think he's got five stolen bases already. He's played really good left field defense. Um, uh, he, he's got on base at a good clip. So he's just just like contributed in kind of all facets of the game. Game time is 7-10 with the pregame coverage getting things started at 6-35 here in 620 WTMJ. No Bucks game six to speak of. Instead, it's Miami and New York in the next series on tap in the NBA playoffs. Last night, Boston took care of Atlanta in their game six. The Celtics and Sixers now score off in a best-of-seven series. And the Admirals begin the first round of the Calder Cup playoffs with game one against the Manitoba Moose up there in Winnipeg there, you know. The <laughs> yeah, mo- I the know mo- where they are. Moose and squirrel. <laughs> Drop puck. 518 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Coming up, a story you may remember from more than a quarter century ago, six men convicted of killing a guy at a paper mill in Green Bay, and they never broke and never copped to it. There's a new documentary that's out. It screens this weekend at Milwaukee Film Festival. We'll talk about it next on Wisconsin's Morning News. On this Friday morning, September 1995, six men were convicted of killing Tom Monfiles. He was found dead in a pulp vat inside a paper mill in Green Bay. More than a quarter century later, the so-called Monfiles six, co-workers of his at the mill, they've always proclaimed their innocence. It's the topic of a new documentary screening tomorrow at Milwaukee Film Festival. And I spoke with the film's director, Michael Nielsen, about where they are now and what his film shows about the still controversial verdict. Piaskowski got out on a writ of habeas corpus in 01, and then uh, it was just him for many, many years. And then five, or rather four of the Monfell six beyond him periodically got out on parole like around 2018. So that includes Ray Moore and Mike Hearn and Mike Johnson. Um, Dale Bastin was released on parole because he was in such failing health, and he died soon thereafter, so he's passed. And now Keith Kutzka, yes, is the only remaining member of the Montfell Six still behind bars, up for parole this year in 2023. And if you can refresh my memory, is it Kutzka whom they said was the one who ultimately pushed him? Correct. Yeah, he's he's uh, popularly thought of as the ringleader of the Montfell Six. He's the one who Tom called the police on for stealing the scrap wire. Um, and he's the one who confronted Tom and organized the, the, the kind of group harassment at the workplace that day. So we're talking with Michael Nielsen. He's director of the documentary Beyond Human Nature. It takes us back to the murder investigation of Tom Monfiles in the early 1990s and then the ultimate conviction of the Monfiles Six. One thing that always struck me, Michael, was all six of these guys have maintained their innocence and not one of these guys turned on anybody else, which I guess lends some credence to the idea that maybe they didn't do it. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of where I come from as well, where, you know, I'm, I was six years old when Tom was discovered at the bottom of that pulp that. So I'm, I'm a generation that doesn't remember the media coverage at all. So I'm, I'm coming at this with fresh eyes uh, and a little bit of distance, uh, the, the benefit of some hindsight. 
And I really wanted to tell the story from that 30,000 foot view where I don't know. And it's not my, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want, you know, documentary filmmakers trained in storytelling primarily to take it upon themselves to try and find out. Um, I don't think that's really our job. But uh, I wanted to understand how this got so messed up. How is it that six men get uh, convicted of killing their coworker uh, in such an you know insane way? Uh, something that really truly does feel beyond human nature. You know, wrapping a rope around his neck, attached to a fifty-pound weight, and throwing him into a pulp vat. How does that happen? Or how does it happen that six innocent men get put away for a crime they didn't commit, and it was something else, and we never found out? It, it, it's a harrowing story. And in the story that you tell, do you come to an ultimate conclusion one way or another, Mike? I don't. I, I mainly come from the, the the conclusion of human nature must encompass a lot more behavior than I thought it was really capable of. Because no matter which way you fall on this, if you think the Montbell Six are guilty, or if you think that Tom committed suicide, which is a more recent argument that's come up since 2015, some part of it just feels beyond human nature, beyond what we would normally do, you know. That's Michael Nielsen. His film Beyond Human Nature screens tomorrow, 1230 at the Times Cinema and again Monday, 915 at the Oriental. Eric, I was working as an intern at WFRV TV, Channel 5 Eyewitness News, Green Bay. Excellent. In my senior year of college and then took a weekend producing job with them. As this trial, a huge trial was right? going on. Yes. The, actually, the first show I was ever supposed to produce on my own was the 5 o'clock news when the verdict came down. Well, all right. right. We found out like in the afternoon, hey, there's a verdict. And then Vinny was out of the chair. They brought in the professionals <laughs> to handle that. But right, there was nothing bigger in Green Bay in those days than the, exactly the conversations that Michael's talking about. They did it. They didn't do it. Or these guys did it, but these guys didn't. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I usually have a really good feeling about, oh, yeah, right. Sure, you can kind of read some of that. Yeah, but. I, I, I'm kind of with Michael on this. Like, I understand both sides of this story. I want to see the doc. Would be good. And so, right, that's a screening at the Milwaukee Film Festival as well. It will be available for download wherever you download movies, so you can get it in those places uh, after this weekend. The film is already premiered in Green Bay. So coming up at 6.50, I do ask Michael what others are saying about his work in the city where this all happened. His answer on that later this morning on Wisconsin's Morning News. Yeah, yeah. 5.41 on Wisconsin's Morning News this Friday morning. We've got a hero. One of our favorite things to do is to highlight the average hero. The average man, woman, or child who does something remarkable becomes the largest person at that scene. And Usually... Like- Outside of the realm of the first responders. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyday heroes, yeah. of course. Not the everyday heroes. This is the average hero. All right, so who do we have today? Well, it's a seventh grade boy. He averted potential tragedy. His name is Dylan Reeves. This is video, audio from the video. He was sitting on a school bus on his way home from a uh, middle school in the town of Warren, Michigan, when the bus driver became lightheaded and passed out, lost consciousness. (sighs) So clearly there was a problem here, right? Clearly something had to be done. As the bus was slowing down, it started to veer into what would have been oncoming traffic. And this caught the attention of Dylan, who was about... Five rows or so back of the bus. That's the superintendent right there, Robert Livernoy. He says, Dylan jumped up, ran to the front of the bus, brought it to his stop. First responders were called, and everything was 
taken care of. In my 35 plus years of education, um, this was an extraordinary act of courage and maturity on his part. He jumped up from his seat, threw his backpack down, ran to the front of the bus, grabbed the steering wheel, and brought the bus to a stop in the middle of the road. How about Come on. that? A 13-year-old kid. Now, it helped that he had, like, driven a vehicle before. Families uh, had him drive some stuff before uh, uh, in the rural areas I was going to say, Michigan. rural communities, Dad says he'd driven up and down the driveway yep, yep. before. So, he clearly, he had had some of that. Speaking of Dad, this is my favorite line. So, obviously, when something like this happens, they help the, the bus driver. By the way, she, they think she's going to be okay. She was 40 years old and, and, and went lightheaded and unconscious. They call dad after this is all taken care of, and what does he say? Police officer called me, and my first response was, what the heck did he do? <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 this is a good call. I'm like, oh. He goes, your son's a hero. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> yes. This, this is the police. <laughs> You're like, whoa, no. S- Sergeant Shinlinden hears this Mr. Vetrano. Yes. <laughs> what, what did they do? Yeah, Max just pulled a bus over and <laughs> saved everyone's life. Nope. <laughs> God love him, but I don't see it. Well, Dylan Reeves did it 13 years old. He's our average hero of the week. Time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All Sports Desk. Here's Bob Brainerd. The pick is in, and at number 13, the Green Bay Packers selected former Iowa defensive end Lucas Van Ness. His game, says the 21-year-old, resembles a current Packers linebacker. Over the years, I've watched, uh, um, you know, I've watched, I watched Preston Smith a little bit. Uh, you know, obviously he was a, uh, a high sack guy last year. I think he had uh, eight or nine sacks and, you know, playing, uh, you know, he's a guy I've kind of seen uh, similar to myself who has the ability to play in a lot of different positions. Um, but honestly, there's, you know, so many different players I've tried to watch and, you know, film study and, you know, learn my game after. Um, and honestly, I think that's, uh, you know, the best thing you can do to become, uh, you know, learn to become a professional is, you know, see guys who have, uh, you know, see and watch guys who have been successful at this level and try to emulate that. So they went defense again. Here's GM Brian Gutekunst. He could have gone offense to help out Jordan Love, but... Yeah, there was a bunch. We actually we had really good choices. I mean, again, we have you know we don't pick high, this high very often, so we had a lot of choices. And um, uh, I think it was just kind of how we had them rated. Um, obviously, we very much believe in rushing the passer, and edge rush was a very premium position for us. And um, it just that, that I think that was why. On tap tonight, three more picks for the pack. Green Bay has two selections in the second round, 42 and 45. Round three is the 15th of the round at 78th overall. Brewers enjoyed Thursday off the field, back on it tonight with the Angels in town for a three-game series, and no Shohei Otani on the mound this weekend. He will hit. He pitched in Oakland yesterday, so a break for the crew. Now, with all the new baseball rules, some grumbling might be expected. Not Milwaukee's Willie Adamas. Can't shift anymore? No problem, says the Brewer shortstop. So the past couple of years, it was more like, oh, you have to play here because of this and that. Now, you know, they, I feel like they, they give you a little freedom of just go out there and, and, and use your instincts and, you, you know, just be a baseball player. And, and for me, like you say, you know, being like anticipate uh, the play, I think is a big thing for me. Tune in for the pregame tonight at 635 here on 620 WTMJ. Tyler Anderson and Wade Miley on the bump. 
for Game 1. No Bucks game to speak of, sad face. Miami and the Knicks are the next series on tap. Last night, Boston eliminated Atlanta in their Game 6. Philly is next for the Celtics. And the Admirals begin a best-of-five series in the Calder Cup playoffs. It's Game 1 tonight in Winnipeg between Milwaukee and the Manitoba Moose. Hey, I, 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 what Willie said, you know, I like that. Just use the force, man. Just play baseball. Switch off your metrics computer. Stop. <laughs> Just feel it, man. It's it's weird to say that it's old school to do that and not have to shift. But but as Willie said, I mean, he's just going out there and he, he's having fun. He's a good enough shortstop that he doesn't need the shift to still have that range and still make the play. Love all the changes. 548, the Pancake Breakfast Special is up next on Wisconsin's Morning News. Eric Bilstead, Debbie Lazica, Bob Brainerd on sports. Vince Vetrano here with you. And Greg Pancake Hill is the producer of Wisconsin's Morning News. He got his nickname because he used to work at the Pancake House on the south side. Every week we got a lot of ideas for the show. Some of them make it in, some of them don't. So we assigned Greg to whip up a little something with the leftovers here on this Friday morning. Is the Pancake Breakfast Special. What about breakfast? We've already had it. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? If you've never listened to this segment before, I'm going to need you to actually listen this time. As we've learned earlier this week, music star Ed Sheeran in the midst of a legal battle with a member of Marvin Gaye's group for Let's Get It On versus Ed Sheeran's Thinking Out Loud. That's the latest face-off between artists over their intellectual property. Well, consequently, he got me thinking out loud about some of the biggest music copyright cases to ever go to court. So what I need everyone to do here is to decide who won which case. So I'm going to play two songs that were up against each other. You have to decide based on what you hear who actually won. So it's ripoff or no. Correct. Yeah, basically. So we will start back in 1970 with George Harrison's My Sweet Lord. Really want to show you love that it won't take. Alright, you're familiar with that one, correct? Okay, sounds good. That went up against Schiffins, the Schiffins, excuse me. He's so fine. So who do you think won this case? And George was first? No, I think... No, the Schiffins, I'm sorry, I failed to mention. The Schiffins came out in 1962, My Sweet Lord, 1970. Gotcha. So the idea is that George Harrison ripped off Correct. the Chiffins. Correct. Nope. Are we, are we in agreement? What do we think? Uh, that's a no for me. You don't think that they're similar no. enough? No. No, no. no. I'm going to say yes. I'm get, Yeah, I'm going with Eric. Eric cause... and Debbie yeah. are correct. Uh, Harrison lost this case. The judge citing, co- quote, subconscious plagiarism and was charged to pay just under 1.6 million big Ooh. ones uh. after some negotiating by the former Beatles agent. Fun fact, the case went to court in 1976, wasn't resolved until 1998. Let's hear it for the American justice system. (laughs) All right, so that's the first one. Next up, this one puts the civil in a not-so-civil suit. Now, this one takes a little extra attention because it's the same singer. This is John Fogarty's Old Man Down the Road, 1985. You got the hidey, hidey, hidey. The old man. So that went up against Creedence Clearwater Revival's Running Through the Jungle, 1970. 
So who won this case? I'm going to say Credence won because that's right. I mean, that's really similar. I'm with Bob. I'm going to do Old Man Down the Road again just so you hear it. So who this... Who They're different. And they the same. I, I, don't, I can't like get behind any of these. This like, one, it's I can. I can. I'm gonna go with Vinny because this is a little similar. bit different. So right. the judge ordered in favor of John Fogarty. Now, what helped Fogarty's case is he actually brought his guitar into the courtroom and demonstrated how the compensations were actually very different. The compositions, excuse me. Fogarty actually countersued his former group, which went all the way to the Supreme Court, but for something less sexy, it was for how attorneys are paid out in copyright cases. Ah, <laughs> which of, everyone is very concerned about. Exactly, exactly. I was Some hard though, how stuff. is he going to sue himself? Yeah, okay, you got one more? That's how you break the group. All right, last one. We'll do The Verve's Bittersweet Symphony. One of my favorite songs. Don't tell me this is a ripoff. So this, oh, this is a good one. This went up against the Rolling Stones the last time. This is 1965. No. Ah, but wait, 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 wait. That's the original version. The Stones recorded a few orchestral versions of their popular songs, including the last time. Oh, nah. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? The first version, the Stones, I think they uh, they ripped somebody else off. They ripped this off part, themselves. This they part ripped, yeah. Play now. They ripped off this exactly. Is, so this part right now. Went this up, is the part that sounds like it. Went yeah. up against this. Yeah. yeah. Wow, dude. All right. Yeah. Think so? I'm on board. Yes, All right. Dude. Well, guess who won? The Stones. Big yep. time. Oh, yep. Absolutely big time. time. After the lawsuit, uh, they were told the Verve was sold that it was going to be a 50-50 split. That's the Verve's basis, Simon Jones. He said, quote, then they saw how the record was doing. They rung it up and said, we want 100% or take it all out of the shops, meaning they'd shut the music down. And we, they didn't have much of a choice, the Verve, that is. The band was taken to court to a tune of $1.9 million. The Verve lost all their rights to the song. And wouldn't you know it, the song was nominated for Best Song at the Grammys. <laughs> wow. And oh, yeah. who were the writers listed under the tune? Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Ah. <sighs> mm-hmm. uh. Hey, can you send me this cut? I can send this. Do you want the yeah, orchestral version? Yeah, that's what I want. Okay. Where'd you find that deep cut? That's Yeah, that's so that's why I'm doing some research. Found out that this was... That's in the playlist. So they say the Verve promised to only use like five notes, but they used more than what they expected, thus pissing off the you, Stones. You know what? If, I, if I'm the monkeys... Then I go after the Stones because that right the first yeah, version. The first yeah. version. That sounds like a monkey. Totally, yeah. totally does. You're right. You're right. You're right. What it goes does. around comes around. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, don't tassel with the Stones. So there you have the it. Uh, by the way, these aren't the only cases of a supposed plagiarism. Maybe another edition coming soon on another Excellent. week. Yes. Until then, just remember that they say imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, and flattery only goes so far until a judge and the music industry says otherwise. Uh,